Pastor Xavier Reese and True Conversion. God is seeking repentance. Now I think that a lot of problems in the church today is because people don't understand repentance. We're just talking about you want to accept the Lord, be saved. You want to, you know, just get your life better. You want to get rid of your problems. The Bible says we're to repent. It means a change of mind with a change of life. When you come to the Lord, He changes your life. He changes your heart. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Successful companies set up mission statements and goals to keep the team focused on the prize. While that's not at all unlike following Christ, today Pastor Xavier draws out three important steps necessary for becoming a successful employee in the company of the Lord. Let's join him in the book of 2 Timothy for today's important life lesson, Strive for salvation. Paul the Apostle has made it perfectly clear that Timothy must separate himself from the false teachers as well as their doctrine. It's a delicate fine line as we walk in this world that we live in the world but not of the world. We want to reach the sinner, but we have to be careful that we're not part with the sinner. And certainly when false teaching is concerned, this is more important. Now Paul tells Timothy that he's to have a proper attitude towards the individuals who oppose false, uh, the true doctrine of God, the gospel. Paul gives to Timothy a threefold counsel, since he's a minister of the gospel, as to how he's to be this vessel towards their salvation. And let me read this. Verse 23 to 26. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, to do his will. Here's his threefold counsel. Timothy was to avoid certain things. Verse 23. He was to avoid certain things. Notice secondly, verse 24 to the first part of 25, Timothy was to conduct himself in a certain way. And then thirdly, Timothy was to understand the certain goal of salvation. This is the bottom line. We are not in it just to win arguments. We're not in it just to exalt ourselves. We're in the kingdom to reach people who are lost. Let's begin here with the first. Timothy was to avoid certain things. In verse 23, notice first, Timothy was to avoid foolish disputes, straight out. In other words, some people will just want to interact with you simply to win an argument. It's a battle of words. Timothy was to avoid ignorant disputes also. And the word ignorant means um, the negative of to instruct or to educate. And indicates nonsensical, inept, trifling, and absurd disputations and speculations by individuals. Thirdly, Timothy was to know that they would only create strife. How many people have just spent hours and hours and hours 
talking about things that really do, do not even relate to the scriptures. That they're not even close to the context of the verse or the chapter or the book. And, and when all is said and done and the three or four hours go by, nothing's accomplished. Put your energies where they're going to count. Have a perspective for the lost. Search out the scriptures, but don't get caught up in the foolish and ignorant arguments of so many people who go around in the church trying to establish their own authority. Timothy was to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Notice, secondly, Timothy was to conduct himself in a certain way. Verse 24 to the beginning of verse 25 says, No servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. He says here, Timothy was, must not quarrel. Timothy was to be gentle, he says. Notice also that Timothy was to be able to teach with the idea of not only having the ability, but the willingness. In fact, the word has a suffix, which is ikos. Anytime a Greek word has a suffix of ikos, it means it is controlled or dominated by. So in other words, when the word pneumatikos appears, it means that whatever object or person is talked about there in that text, it's controlled by the Spirit of God. So Timothy is to be known as a servant who is controlled by the teaching of the Word of God because of his gift, because of his calling, because of his anointing, and because of his preparation, as he tells them in chapter 2, verse 15, to be diligent to present himself approved to God. A workman does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in view of all this, then he's to be controlled by teaching. And in being controlled by teaching, then he's going to have the proper perspective. He's going to bring forth the right actions. He's going to have the right content to be able to oppose those who argue. Now, Timothy was also to be patient. Notice this is in the backdrop of opposition. It's easy to be patient when everything's going well. But the test of patience is when the heat is turned up. That's when the test is. In fact, the word patient is made up of two words. One means to bear, and the other one here means bad. The word describes one who bears evil and sorrow and ill treatment without irritability. They don't lose their cool. You see, the world embraces brashness, asserting yourself, and yet a person who blows it is a weak person. The stronger the person is, the more they're in control. Now men usually give outbursts of anger to demonstrate their power when in fact they're demonstrating their weakness. That's how we handle a lot of things. And it's a mark of weakness. And so Timothy is to be patient. The implication is clear. He must be a man that is filled with the Spirit and the Word of God and yielding to both. When I am a godly man yielding to God's Word and His Spirit, then I'm going to be in control. When I don't, I'm not going to be in control. Notice thirdly here that Timothy was to have the proper attitude in view of what he was to do. Timothy's actions would only be meaningful 
and honorable to the Lord if, in fact, they resulted in the proper attitude of his heart. And that's what God looks at. We constantly have to check ourselves because we forget and we start thinking that God looks at what I do. And I have to remind myself that he looks and sees how I do it and why I do it. He looks at my attitude. Timothy was to be an example of humility. In fact, the word humility in the New Testament dictionary says this about him. It denotes not outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul, calmness towards God in particular. It is in the acceptance of God's dealing with us, considering them as good in that they enhance the closeness of our relationship with him. And so as we walk in humility, we have a closer relationship to the Lord. We're more open to him. Likewise, if we walk in humility, then people are more open to the approach. It's just natural. Timothy's humility was to be evident as he taught those who opposed right doctrine in the church. You begin with the right attitude, communicating the right actions because you, you're walking in humility. And you deal with the individual. And as you move along, God will give you the wisdom. You will see where they're coming from. Then you will make the decisions to make the proper actions. But that openness... Timothy's humility was to be evident as he taught them. Now, notice the word correcting. It comes from the root word, which means a child. And originally it was used of bringing up a child to educate in a moral and spiritual maturity in order that the effect of their conscience and their actions would be changed. The word also is used in forms of learning by chastening in 1 Timothy 1.20. So it's not only by the instruction, but chastening at times. We do this as parents. We instruct our children, but we chasten them, and they learn from both of them. There is that balance. Now, such is the type of teaching that Timothy was to manifest towards those who were in opposition to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, to the gospel, for the purpose of restoration, not merely castigation. That's what we have to understand. We do what we do towards the non-believer or to the person who's opposing the proper view of Scripture that they might be restored. As parents, when we castigate our children, we don't do it just to make them feel miserable, I hope. We want to turn them. We want to be reconciled to them. We want to restore them to the right relationship. This is the same idea here. One day Jesus was going through Samaria, as you know, and the Samaritans didn't receive him very well. And James and John said, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to consume them? <laughs> Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit you are. It's so easy to just lash out. That's my flesh. But I have to move beyond that and realize the losses of a person. And I give them the benefit of the doubt. We always have to give the benefit of the doubt to the person. The act of correcting is an act of love, yet it is confrontational at times. And it may deal with chastening, but again, the seeking is restoration. 
Paul the Apostle in Hebrews 12, 6 through 11 speaks about that. That no chastening is joy for the season that it's going through. But if we submitted ourselves to our earthly parents because they were over us and they were doing it for our good, even though they could make some mistakes, I'm sure you got a whipping or two like I did that I didn't deserve, but for the most part, our parents were on target. And if we submitted ourselves to our parents who can make mistakes, how much more should we submit ourselves to our Lord and Master? For he has the benefit in mind, restoration. The correction of error is the responsibility of every pastor in the primary context here because he's speaking to Timothy. God help the pastor who does not confront error, who does not seek to correct error. The whole movement of our day now is just ecumenicalism. Let's all be one. Let's just all love one another. And so what you're hearing all over is that we're all the same. We're all one, and we all should just respect one another. Let's just all love it. Let's not make a difference about doctrine. Let's not name Jesus. Let's not, you know, just God. It's kind of like, a, like a AA. You know, you pick your higher power, whatever it is. God help the pastors who do not proclaim the truth of the word of God in a loving, humble way, but they better declare it. And they better not be caught up with this whole political correctness and ecumenicalism. Where the word of God is open, we're open. Where it is black and white, I am black and white. I will not be moved. And God help us if we do in our day. Timothy was to conduct himself in a certain way that would honor his Lord. And notice lastly here, Timothy was to understand the certain goal of salvation, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having, take, having taken them captive by him to do his will. Notice, first of all, Timothy was to know that God would perhaps grant them repentance, them as those who were opposing the gospel. God always is looking for an opportunity and an opportune time to reach those who are lost or those who are deceived. He's not willing that any should perish, 1 Peter 3, 9. God is seeking repentance. Now, I think that a lot of problems in the church today is because people don't understand repentance. And the word repentance is not taught much from the pulpit. We're just talking about you want to accept the Lord, be saved. You want to, you know, just get your life better. You want to get rid of your problems. And the Bible says we are to repent. It means a change of mind with a change of life. As the conviction of the Holy Spirit shows you that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven for your sin. Otherwise, your repentance is like the repentance of the world that brings forth death. You only regret the consequence of the sin and it's an emotional release, but it's not a true turning from sin. And so Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10 speaks about the true repentance from sin and the repentance that brings forth death. You just regret the sin. You just regret the consequences. It's an emotional release, but it's not a change in your life. When you come to the Lord, He changes your life. He changes your heart. The goodness of God leads man to repentance. But if there is an unrepentant heart, the person adds to their own hurt, as Paul tells the Romans in Romans 2, 4 through 5. Listen to him. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness? forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness of heart and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath 
in the day of wrath and revelation and the righteous judgment of God? In other words, those who God is so patient with, his goodness, the goodness of God, that he delays, he's patient with the sinner who is blaspheming him and doing all kinds of stuff and whatever it is, like you and I were. And he's patient to get him to come, to preach the gospel, to everything. But if he keeps rejecting that, he's damning up for himself more wrath for the day of judgment. Do you know how patient God is? That he can endure everybody's sin at the same time? Listen, you couldn't even endure my sin at one time. You would run out of patience. God is the most patient person because he's good by nature. Because he wants to reach the lost. But if the lost is stubborn enough and hard-hearted enough to reject the gospel, then wrath falls upon him. Notice, secondly, Timothy was to know the purpose of their repentance so that they may know the truth, aletheia, the genuine truth. The word is used 14 times in the pastoral epistles. All of them refer to the gospel except for one in 1 Timothy 1, 7, or 1 Timothy 2, 7. It's in reference to Jesus. The genuine gospel, the genuine truth, the knowledge is not mere intellectual knowledge, but that which is by experience that changes a person's life. When they knew God, they didn't want to retain him as God, Romans 1, 28. They knew God. People know about God, but they reject it. They changed God into their own image. But notice, secondly, that so that they may come to their senses, that they know the truth, but they come to their senses. We say this sometimes to our kids or to someone, well, what's, what are you thinking? You know, snap out of it. We're saying, you know, you're not thinking properly. The phrase literally means to be sober, to regain the ability to recover from the deception, the intoxication of error. And there are people who are intoxicated with air, with, with, with scriptural air in their lives. And they live their lives according to the air, and they think they're right. But notice thirdly, so that they may escape the snare of the devil. And the picture here is of deception that has no freedom and eventually leads to destruction. The word snare means whatever makes fast or holds you, it anchors you. The word appears five times in the New Testament. Three of the five are directly associated and related to Satan. He is the one who opposes God. He's the liar. He's the adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren. Notice 30 here that Timothy was to know the reason. They had been taken captive. Notice they were doing his will. That's what they're caught for. Now some say the, the word captive and will refer to Satan and others say it refers to God. But if you examine the context, it refers to Satan. In other words, Satan has captivated men and women in darkness like you and I were before. And we didn't even know it, but we were serving him in our own way to do his will. And so I believe this is the correct interpretation but God is telling Timothy through Paul, listen, Timothy, we got to snatch some of them. We got to get them. We got to take them from Satan. Years ago, an atheist in Europe bequeathed his farm to the devil. So, as his wish 
uh, was declared, so it was, and the house and the land became untouched, and before you know it, it was just the farm was tangled up with weeds and shrubs, and it became an eyesore for the whole community. And so, too, the souls of men become unfruitful in the pawn of Satan by failing to appropriate the means of grace of the gospel for salvation. People, it's a choice. You will never be able to blame God that you were lost. You will never be able to blame God that he wasn't fair or just because he'll always give an opportunity. I don't care how, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know who, but God will allow every person who was ever born into this world to have a chance to accept him. If he fails just one person, then he cannot be God and he has to be unjust. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That implies that all are going to have an opportunity. You know, God lets us live enough time that each of us will have a chance. I remember in the world, people giving me tracks. I throw them away. But nobody really witnessed to me. The first time they witnessed to me was really my brother. But I'd be responsible. And so no one will be able to blame God. No one knows when God will provide that opportunity for salvation for that person. We know that God will. And so we rest in that. And so God wants to use us. Well, how many people would be set free from the many heresies and false teachings that that are taught constantly through the church. If we would examine, if we would hold on to that which is profitable and good, as 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, testing those things. The faith doctrine that teaches that all are to be healed, denying sickness altogether. That's wrong. It's false. It's unbiblical. The positive confession doctrine that creates its own world and reality. If you only believe it and confess it and demand your divine right, God will do it. And so if God doesn't act, then the failure's on you. How unscriptural. The doctrine of imagery and inner healing that you just contemplate and you imagine Jesus touching you and you create your own little scenario. Imagery, it's, it's all new age. Yet it's taught in the church often. The doctrine of casting out demons from Christians to cover up their carnality. And so they cast out the demon of lust, the demon of gluttony, the demon of this, the demon of that. And you're giving Satan all the time. Listen, you just got to reckon the old man dead. Just go to the works of the flesh. You've got to reckon him dead. You have to cast out no demon. You have to reckon it dead. You have to walk in the spirit. The doctrine of laughing in the spirit and acting like animals, you know, flying around. What's that all about? Now, the Bible does tell me to walk in the spirit, so I can hang with that. We are to reach out to those who are in error. Whenever God opens those doors, we're to do it in God's love, we're to do it by God's word. Not by our own opinion, not our speculation, not to have a battle of words. And the goal is salvation of the lost. Not simply to win an argument. And so Timothy was to understand the certain goal of salvation. So important. Here you have Paul telling Timothy to be that proper vessel for those opponents. That he might be a vessel to bring them salvation. Timothy was to avoid certain things. Timothy was to conduct himself in a certain way. And then Timothy was to understand the certain goal 
of salvation. Good things for us to know and to remember. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of walking according to the precepts found in the Word of God. And you can pick up your own copy of today's study, Strive for Salvation, for only $4. We can send you a copy on CD. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is Strive for Salvation, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, it helps us when you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is one way we have of determining the impact of this outreach in your area. How much of the Bible must we follow to be obedient? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 